we're, we're doing a focus for the last several weeks, and it's called called out. And we found out that this is exactly what the word that's translated in our English Bible as church, the original language of the New Testament, it was a word that literally means called out. He's called us out of the kingdom, uh, out of darkness into his marvelous light, into his kingdom of light. We're his called out people. This word was used to refer to those who were called out for a purpose. Uh, and we have a purpose. And would gather. We are his gathering. We're gathered together in his name. We're his assembly. But it's not just about assembling together like we are today. And we found out the early church from the earliest days, they would meet in large groups, even in Jerusalem before they were scattered. And they also met in small groups and house to house. And they were studying and they were, they were following the apostles' teaching. Um, and we looked at the apostles' teaching and what was happening in the early church in Acts chapter 2. And we also looked at a couple of things Jesus said. And you remember the great commandment and the great commission? And we see these five things emerge as a purpose that he has for us. We saw them as they were worshiping together. And we saw them as they were ministering to one and serving. The word minister means serve, serving one another. We also know where Jesus told us that the great commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, everything within you, worship, and then to Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So we're to minister and love our neighbor. And then we saw discipleship in Acts 2, where they were continuing in the apostles' teaching. And Jesus told us in the Great Commission that we're to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And in the fellowship, we see that in Acts 2, as they were sharing together. The word means to have in common. They were taking care of each other. And Jesus said that we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we're all baptized into one body. There's a fellowship there. And as he said to go, and then in Acts 2, we see that the Lord was adding to their number daily, those that were being saved. We see evangelism as we're carrying the good news out. So these are things, and anything we're doing here somehow needs to be tied to one or more of these. This is our purpose, all right? So I want to keep that out there. And last week we ended with this thought as we see being part of the called out. He likens it of being in like a body. Christ is the head and we're all members of that body. Just like your physical body has different members. Every member is equally important, but they all have different functions, right? They're all a little different. But we saw that uh, as we live as his called out people, as his church, uh, there's some things that's going to happen. So today we want to get the right climate. Okay? Um, a lot of talk about climate these days, but things cycle in and out. Right now, we need a little more rain in our physical climate. Been a little cool lately. Need a little more rain, need some warmer nights, get this grass growing. Going to need to be cutting some hay before long, Right? Uh, but if you don't have the right climate, sometimes things don't grow like they should. So what's the climate that the Lord wants in here? I'm sorry, in here. I just felt like saying it that way. I don't know why. What is it? There's a certain climate and a certain has to do with our attitude. Something coming from inside of us. The way we think. Now, I know it's going to affect that because we're talking about Romans 12. And we think about, I can't, I can't go on 
in this part of Romans 12 without thinking about verses 1 and 2 where he appeals by the mercies of God that we present our physical bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, and that is our spiritual worship. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. He wants to do this. He wants to renew our mind. So one of the things that's going to happen is, is as we come to him and as we give ourselves to him, he wants to rewire our minds, renewing our mind. And honestly, now with science, they can even note changes in the brain with the neurotransmitters and different things as we change patterns of thought and habits in life. So really, he does rewire our brain as well as renewing our mind. So as this is happening, a new mindset emerges that's totally opposite than what we're born with. What I'm born with is pretty selfish. What I'm born with is pretty rebellious. What I'm born with is not great for unity. Um, I was oftentimes that, <clears throat> that problem child growing up, right? And the problem with being a problem child, you become an even bigger problem adult. But, you know, this is the philosophy we have in our world. It's, you know, you got to get ahead, right? You step on whoever you have to step on. It's, as they say, dog eat dog, which is kind of gross, but that's what they say, right? That is, you know, you just, you just look out for what? Old number one. And when you talk about looking out for old number one, who are you talking about? Self. Okay, so this mentality is totally different than that. Because one of the biggest problems we have, one of our big purposes as we come together is to worship and to fellowship. Here's the thing. We all are made a little different. We're all wired a little differently just as we are. We all have different preferences. We all come from different backgrounds. We had different things we got used to growing up. Some grew up in different kinds of churches. Some grew up without any teaching of God or anything. Never went to church, any of that. And uh, some from a totally different type of tradition or religion. And then, uh, but God brings us together in Christ and he begins to change us and he begins to mold us and he begins to shape us uh, so that we can become that one, that one body. Um, but our problem is, is we're, we're, we're more worried about our own personal preferences than we are the purposes. More worried about preferences than his purposes. And this is where it all begins to fall apart. Now, God's telling us ahead of time that we need the renewed mind. We need him working and changing our minds and our attitudes to make us into new people. So I want to read what he says next, all right? In Romans chapter 12. So we've got the foundation, verse 3. 3 through 5. says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Now, pause. I like to do that sometimes when I interrupt. I see some of you may get upset if you're talking and I accidentally, accidentally interrupt you. I interrupt myself. I just did it. Um, but I want to interrupt myself and say, why did Paul say, by the grace given uh, to me? Because if it wasn't for God's grace, which gives us what we don't deserve out of the riches of Christ, Paul could have never said this. Paul could have never been this. Because Paul, being a Pharisee, and, and the way he was, he was Saul of Tarsus, right? He's pretty, he, he wanted to please God, he thought, but he's pretty well stuck on himself and trying to get ahead of others and be the best, Right? So God's rewired him. So he can only say this, and he wants you and me to know it all these centuries later by the grace of God. So by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Boom, he wants to get that point across. And so the last week we kind of ended with this thought, is that living out the call involves relationship between you and God. Amen? That's where it starts. But it also involves the relationship between you and others. Because we're called, listen to me, not just to believe, but we're called to belong. To belong to Him. And we, if you belong to Him, and if I belong to Him, guess what? Like it or not, we belong to each other. This is something he is very concerned about. Jesus prayed about in that prayer, which is the one I call the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. We've been talking about this, and we know that um, uh, a key part of this whole thing is how we interact with each other as we're called into this one body. That's one of Paul's favorite ways to illustrate being part of the church, the called out, is being a body. And uh, it's powerful. Because as he says, in the body, there are many different parts. Just like there are here, many different members. We all have different functions. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We want to always compare ourselves to others. And that's just the way our world's all, that's the way our flesh is. That's the way our world has always been. You know, even all the advertising out there, they always want you to compare yourself to someone else so you feel like you lack something, so you go buy their product to try to make things better. And then now we've got with social media, we're hit with more stuff in our society today than ever before. Now, there's always been bad influences out there. This is why I want to encourage our parents and why we need to, we need to be really teaching our, our kids. And this thing needs to be a thing of the home. And, and, and you need to have the young people learning and growing because I'm telling you, if you don't take it serious, our culture is going to gobble them up. And even in our, our we, we still have Sunday school. We have Bible classes before worship. And um, the material we use is called D6. It's after Deuteronomy 6 where he says that we're to pass these things on to our children, that you talk about them when you rise up, when you sit down, when you're walking down the road, whatever you're doing, that it becomes a natural thing of the home. And we want to equip parents to be able to teach the young because I'm telling you that nowadays influence is coming from everywhere. I mean, it comes piped in, influencers. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Well, most of it's not a good influence, but you're going to be, and I'm telling you, no matter how much you try to shelter them, your kids are going to be influenced like my generation never was by all kinds of crazy stuff. If we don't get a foundation of the Word of God in them, uh, then they're going to be mixed up. It's no wonder everybody is so mixed up these days. We have no foundation. And um, so this is part of what is, that's bonus content, not really part of the original sermon. So you can just add that as extra, okay? But as we're called into this, we have different functions. uh, We have different purposes, and he wants us to grow in this. But there is this attitude that he talks about here that facilitates the climate where unity can grow. If unity is going to grow, and we've already seen from last week, if you were paying attention, hopefully, and if we can remember it right, we're seeing that one of the, the atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is really free to work, where God is free to work, is when we are in unity, keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're studying there in Ephesians 4. 
It's that being in one accord. That's where it's wide open for the power of God to work. And all Satan has to do is create uh, division and it begins to choke that out. It's not a good atmosphere for these purposes we were talking about to be fulfilled when we have disunity. And the thing about it is we're already wired for it in our flesh, right? And here's the, here's the, we want to blame the devil. I want to tell you what, we make it so easy on the devil to get us all crossways. We get, our, we get feelings hurt so easy and I need to work on that, right? We have trouble forgiving. We hold grudges. And when we do that, we give, the, Paul says later on, he, we give the devil a foothold in our life when that happens. And from that, he builds strongholds in our life. Okay, um, so Paul's addressing this here. So here's the deal. If you're saved, you're a member of the body. If you're saved, you're a member of the body of Christ. When you were saved, the Holy Spirit baptized you. You've been baptized by one spirit into one body. He placed you into the body of Christ. You're a part of it. Now, each part is gifted and equipped to serve a purpose. We're reminded in Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, is what he says. That is, God says, when he looks at you and me, and we feel like a failure, you know what he says? Not sorry. I'm not sorry I called you. I'm not sorry I saved you. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. And Paul's talking about Israel there, how that even Israel um, was called out by God to be a special people through whom he gave his law, uh, which exposed the fact that we need a Savior. And built into it were all of these shadows that were cast by the answer who was Christ, and through them came the Savior. Jesus Christ came into the world to redeem us, and even though as a whole it looks like they had turned their back on that call, God was still not sorry that He called them. And guess what? Paul is saying the offer still stands through faith in Christ. To be grafted back in, so to speak. So I want to say this. Though you have maybe gotten off track in some way or another, and now you feel like you got all these reasons and all these excuses as to why God can't use you and why God might not want to forgive you and why, my, why God might not want to bless you. I'm here to tell you, he's saying the offer still stands. I'm not sorry. In fact, God knows everything. And it's good to know it'd been best if I'd stick with his plan all the way through, right? It'd be best for me. But God already knows. Nothing has ever happened to surprise God because he knows all things. And the good news is he even factored in a lot of the ignorant. I wanted to stay, say stupid, but I'm not supposed to say that word, so I'll not say stupid, okay? Right? I'm not going to say it. And, and how about this word? Wicked. Ridiculous things that I've done, he'd already factored those in to his plan. Not that those things are okay or were good in of themselves, but he can still bring his good out and still use us for his purposes to accomplish for his glory. 
He can still do that no matter what. Offer still stands. I just wanted that to be part of this because that's true. So this passage deals with that attitude uh, and, and how our attitudes relate to our purpose in life. And there's been this transformation and that uh, we're all connected together. And according to this passage, we cannot be truly sacrificed to him. Get this. This, I think, is in your notes. We cannot be truly sacrificed to him presenting ourselves a living sacrifice to God. That's what he said in verse 1. You can't be truly sacrificed to him and inactive in his work. If I'm truly sacrificed, if I present yield myself to him, I am going to be active in the work that he's doing. He's going to be working in me and through me. So, so just uh, it's more than just me saying I believe in God. He wants me to fulfill a function and a purpose. And I can't be truly fruitful in his work without being genuinely devoted to Him, right? Doesn't that make sense? I'm not going to be genuinely devoted to Him unless I am surrendered to Him. If I'm not surrendered to Him and I'm sacrificed to Him, I'm not going to be active in His work. I'm not going to be fruitful. And here's what we find out, is that worship and devotion always precede service and usefulness. If I want to be serving God, if I want to be used by God, worshiping Him, bowing before Him, just what does that mean? That means to be just totally filled up, overwhelmed by Him, and just occupied by who He is. Worship. It's got to precede. It's got to come first. And everything flows out of that. So the basic idea is that each believer is a living part of Christ's body. Each one has a spiritual function to perform. Each believer has a gift or gifts to be used for building up the rest of the body, not tearing down. And for the perfecting of the other members of the body. That's what he tells us in Ephesians 4. So we belong to each other, we minister to each other, and we need each other. He didn't didn't call you just to believe, he called you to belong to himself and to others. So let's just go through these few verses quickly. So the first thing we see here is he wants to help us to get the proper perception of self. Did you see that? By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, verse 3, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he or she ought to think. we got to get a realization of our standing. This word came out last week. Here it comes again. It's so powerful. It's such an important component of being part of the body of Christ. It's humility. We said last week that Uh, It's been said that humility can be defined as seeing ourselves as we really are in light of who he really is. So in order to really get the proper view of myself, I have to begin to get a proper view of who God is. Because he's my creator. He's the owner of all things. He's the designer. And if I don't know my creator, I'm not going to know me. Mazes me how many times people want to run from God and go out and do all kinds of crazy, ignorant stuff trying to find themselves. You're never going to find yourself till you find the one who made you. That's where you're going to find yourself because end up what you end up doing is just sowing, as we say, wild oats, right? And then we end up praying for a crop failure. And then that verse of the Bible comes along and says, what you sow is what you're going to reap. Yeah, And the problem with that is you don't reap it right then. You always plant and you reap later and you reap more than what you sowed. So we got to deal with that. So I want to find myself in him and I get proper perception of myself. It has to start with him and realizing my standing, realizing who he is. And because humility is so important because our worst problem is pride. 
I'm stuck on me. It's hard not to be, right? <laughs> uh, we're, we're wired that way. It works crazy how the enemy comes in there. That's, that was really, from what little bit of indication we get, possibly from Scripture, that was Satan's sin, pride. And it's part of what he used to seduce Adam and Eve. It's still the main thing that gets us. Um, it destroys our relationship with God, and it destroys his work through us. Now, he's not saying, I'm telling you what he's not saying. He's not saying that we go around low self-esteem. That's not humility. Oh, I'm just, you know, sometimes, I mean, some of us may do this trying to just get pity. You know, oh, I'm just, poor me, right? I'm just no good. I was looking for somebody. Did I say that last night? Poor me, I'm just... I'm just, I'm just, a, what did it say? I'm just a loser. I'm quoting someone here. I just feel, try to get that pity party going, you know? The Lord's not having it. It's not that, that's not humility, that's self pity. The other slide is if I really have a proper view of God and who he says I am, I'm going to know I'm so valuable that he sent his son to die on the cross for me so I am worth something. And he can turn my loser self into a winner. I'll trust him. That's what he does. So having a proper view, I'm finding my identity and not myself and who I am. I'm not finding my identity in what I do or the results or the popularity that I may or may not have. I'm finding my identity in Christ and who he says and who he is. Amen? My identity, my significance is in him. Can't nobody take that away from me if I want that in Christ and I find that in Christ. So, you are special. Our worth is found in Him. But, if I think too highly of myself in a prideful way, it stands to reason if I'm really doing it that way, I am probably not doing what He says in verse 1 and giving myself as a living sacrifice. I probably am not doing that because I'm just too precious for myself. And my time's just too valuable for me. No matter how well we're grounded in God's word and how theologically sound we may even be or, or how vigorously I want to try to serve him, my gifts will not operate to the glory of God and be used in the lives of others to build them up and be spiritually productive until I set myself aside. That self. That's when I really begin to live. It's so opposite of what the world thinks. It's so opposite of what our human logic is in pop psychology. This is it, he says. And Paul knows what he's talking about. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this. He says that you may learn, 1 Corinthians 4, 6, uh, the middle part of that verse, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And so for pride, he uses a phrase that means puffed up. 
And that's a great way to illustrate it, Paul, because we're all like those puffer fish. You know, we get around others, we're you know, we're just like, you know, I'm going to one-up everybody. Somebody, some good, I'm going to puff up, you know. And that's what he says you guys are like. You're puffed up in favor of one against the other, you know. And everybody's got their favorite preacher, and everybody's got this, and everybody thinks they're better than everybody. He goes on in the next verse, and he says in verse 7, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? only reason you may have something to brag about is what Jesus did in and through your life. You didn't do it on your own. And if you didn't do it on your own, if you received it, why are you bragging like it's you? Give the glory to the one that gave it. Amen. Humility is a natural reaction for the renewed mind. When we begin to know him, we realize who we are in light of who he is. And, and then James 4.10 says, when we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. Billy Graham once said this. He said, the smallest package I ever saw was a man completely wrapped up in himself. Pretty small package. Okay, you're going to quote that later. thought that would go over bigger, but it's true. He says that we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment or soberly. It comes from, that word comes from a compound word in the original language, uh, and it means literally to, it's not talking about, you know, not being drunk or high. It's literally the word is a compound word that means to save the mind. And so being sober has to do with sound mind and sound thinking. Obviously, this began to apply to people who are intoxicated because your mind is not sound. You don't make sound judgments and, and you can't make sound decisions and you can't think in a right way. Okay, I mean, that's the way he says you need to think about yourself with that kind of sound mind. Paul, so basically saying, you know, he's relating this to not thinking highly of ourselves than we should. Are you following this? Stay with me now. So basically he's saying that if you're infected with self-conceit, it's like insanity. You need sound judgment. You need to have a sound mind. You need to save the mind. Sober thinking, that's what that means. So we um, need to, um, we need to, as we said, realize our standing, humility. And then the other thing is to rely on our standard, God. That's what we're relying on because it didn't come from us. It came from him. Even our ability to have faith is a gift from him. Can't take any credit for anything. I'm going to get blessing, but he gets all the credit. He gets all the glory if there's anything good comes out. Because even the gift of faith, our eyes are not to be upon ourselves and what I can do or can't do, but on him and what he wants to do. This can be a struggle. Because he says there that with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, he's not talking about saving faith there, that you have different amounts of saving faith. Faith, saving faith, because this word's used a couple different ways in Scripture. That's that belief, that trust, that reliance, submission to God. So you have faith to receive His grace. You trust Jesus for your salvation and nothing else. So they had problems with that back then because they wanted to mix all kinds of other stuff with it or mix Old Testament law with grace. No, you're trusting completely in Jesus and what He did for you on the cross and the power of His resurrection. And, but so, so either you have that or you don't. You don't have like more saving faith than others. I mean, either you're saved or you're not. Saving faith or not, okay? 
Um, he's, and he's not talking about sometimes the faith refers to the body of doctrine that we believe. That's not what he's talking about. What naturally fits here is that it is the exercise of faith, the kind and quantity of faith required to exercise your own particular gift. So the way you're going to work and function in the body is, is the way God has measured it out. And so he's got different responsibilities for me than for you and different gifts for you. And you can only operate by the amount and the gift that he's given you and the faith to use it for him. So he's the one that measures all this out is what Paul is saying. He's the one that measures. So why are you going to be like, look at me. And God's given some people like all this, all this great musical ability and to sing and things like that. And, and if I... If I have something else, but I'm all time like, well, well, I wish I had faith in God to get up and do that. Or if God hasn't called you to preach or to teach, uh, it's probably best you don't do it. Uh, but you're like, boy, I wish I had the faith to, to get up there and do that. Well, God's dealt you a different measure to do something different that requires an equal amount of trusting him. But it's just in a different way that he has sorted out and he has dealt out. Do that. He says it's, we're not all the same. All different and unique. We can't even take credit for any of those gifts. His grace has given them to us. He gives the amount and the type that he desires. So it's not up to us really what we're going to have. So anything that we might have that's worth bragging about comes from God. And it's to be given back to his glory. So get over yourselves, he's saying. That's why we can't get along. That's why we can't have nice things. Me and my brothers, we'd always get into it and stuff. We'd tear stuff up at home. And mom would always say, this is why we can't have nice things. You boys. Never forget in the 70s when the bubble lamp came out. Who in here had a bubble lamp? Who still got one? They break too easy, do they not? And sometimes, you know, when boys have got a, you know, any type of little football. And they did come out with Nerf stuff, Right? But any kind of football or any kind of little ball or basketball, and your brother is there. I mean, you can't just carry a ball around, you know. Your brother's going to be like, <laughs> you got to throw it. And then you're like, <laughs> throw it back. <laughs> you get throwing the ball in the house, right? One of my little friends carried a little ball in here today, and I'm like, you brought your ball. Now, if I see that hurling toward my head during church, though, I'm going to bat it right back at you. That was just a joke, but he took me serious. Um, I'll never forget mom was proud of that lava lamp when we first got it. Is it lava lamp, bubble lamp? You know what I'm saying? Same thing? Are they the same thing? Am I okay? Okay. Um, and the basketball bounced off my hand and hit. No shattered and stuff went everywhere. You know? why we can't have nice things and let me tell you there was much disunity in the house because of that we got to be keep ourselves in order right keep ourselves in line but we can't and and you know i wonder sometimes some of the petty little things we get twisted out of shape about and in the silly things that we do and the way we get like us boys to get careless you know and the things like that and and and, and the lord the holy spirit's looking even at this local body of christ said this is why we can't have nice things you guys Get it together. Get over yourselves. And let's fall in line and trust him. So we find out that we have the right perception of ourselves. And then the other thing is understand our position in the Savior. 
Because if I understand, it's all in Christ. We've already been talking about that. The first thing is our connection to Christ because he says we're like a body. He's the head. See, I'm not my own. I'm in Christ. I like the way Paul uses that through all of his writings that we are one body in Christ. That's me. I'm no longer in sin, in doing my own thing. I am in Christ. My identity is found in Him. My position. That is my position. In Christ. Are you in Christ? That's the first thing you need to be concerned about. Being in Christ. Being saved. Connected to Him. Now, we're part of the body. He's the head. And like the mind controls and instructs the body, now we're controlled and instructed by Christ. Not by each other, but by Him. Uh, so our connection to Christ and then our cooperation with one another. These, these are two things that happen when we really get in the right position in Christ. We understand our connection to Christ and then there will be crop cooperation with one another because each member of the body has a specific task to carry out. And we don't have time to go to it, but in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, what if the whole body was an eyeball? You know, where would, the, where would the ears be, right? Or if the whole body was an ear, where would the eyes be? You know, that's, that's, that's an exact, it's funny. That's crazy. He said, that's just how we are. We all want the same attention. We always want the same thing. We're not operating as a body. We got to work together in the same task of exalting the head of the body, Christ. We don't all do the same thing. We don't all do it the same way. We don't all have the same preferences, but we have the same purpose, and we're pushing together to the same goal. We have unity. It's unity, not uniformity. See, when people wear uniforms, they all look the same. Not uniformity. That's why we all look the same. Not unanimity. When something's unanimous, it means everybody's voted the same way. We don't all think the same. So it's not unanimity or uniformity, it's unity. That's where each one of us, different individuals, different gifts, different backgrounds come together like a body, each part performing different functions, all in obedience to the head. So we're all one in Christ. We're members of each other. We're many, he says here. That's how he says it. One body, we have many members. Members don't all have the same function, verse 4. So we, we're many, but we're one. One body in Christ. And individually, that means what? You're part of Christ, I'm part of Christ. We're members of one another. That's exactly what he said. You are stuck with me. And I'm stuck with you. I spend all of our time trying to run from God and try to get away from each other. And I've often wondered this, especially inside the Christian family. You, you, you're not willing to deal with that issue or just get over it. What are you going to do in heaven? Because they're no more of a sinner than you are. And they show up there. I know God's going to make us perfect. But we need to learn to have the victory here. Because this is one of the main ways, remember, Jesus said that the whole world would know that we belong to Jesus is how we love and treat each other. He says this, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, I'll just, just give a little bit of that. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, Paul says that there may be no division or schism in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. 
That is, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Remember, the, remember when my little toe got squashed by that heifer? Holstein heifer. A real heifer. Not figuratively. <laughs> I want to be clear. Uh, the whole body suffered, right? So I always think of that. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ. You are one body. And individually members of it. That's what he's saying. That's what we are. If one is honored, we don't get like seething with jealousy. We honor. If somebody's hurting, we hurt. One body in Christ. The problem is we're different. If we don't watch it, that's where pride and self creep in and Satan use it to cause divisions and so a lot of us, we are so different. Remember last week you talked about how oil and water doesn't mix, but if you add an emulsifier, remember mayo? That illustration I gave, it was amazing. amazing. Egg makes oil and water mix to make, and, and, and remember we talked about the Holy Spirit is the emulsifier. So it doesn't matter how different and how, how at odds we can be, Right? I've seen the Holy Spirit do this with people that come from different backgrounds, that have different preferences. Like, guess what? Oh, my goodness. Different styles of music. Really? And be able to love and worship and prefer the others ahead of themselves. Oh, and that's another thing. As new people come to Christ, we've really got to make place for them. We do. Because I see that happen a lot. In a lot of places... We're more worried about our own preferences than we are making room for new people coming in that don't know anything about our traditions or preferences or anything. If it's not biblical, if it's not spelled out in here, we can do it differently. If it's not spelled out, the message never changed. Sometimes the methods do. I've seen the Lord work. I mean, I've even seen in one family, a husband and wife, I mean, one be a, a Cubs fan and the other a Cardinal fan and them still be able to be happy. We're all sad right now. I'm sorry. I'm not going to get into that. It will quench the spirit for sure. But the point is this. The Holy Spirit bridges the gap. We all have those. Hey, there's some people, Curtis, that are just different than me. Right? I might get on their nerves. You ever have that happen? You see, and just naturally, I've heard Curtis say this. And growing up on a farm, I knew what this means, and some of you do. We just don't gee and haw together. Right? Who knows what I just said? All right, good, good. So when you're working that team, you're working, especially those mules or donkeys or whatever they are, together, you know, in a yoke, you know, G and, okay, so it has to do with direction. It has to do with being able to get the job done. And if you don't G and haw, you're not going to be able to get together and get this thing done. So there's some people I, but the Holy Spirit is like the yoke that helps us get together and work together. So the Holy Spirit bridges the gap. There's no problem. There's no past. That's, there's no offense. Oh, that's another sermon. But offenses are going to happen. Offenses are going to come. You can't, it's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to be offended and I'm going to, whether I'm accidentally, hopefully offend you, or it could be I'm having a bad day and I'm, I'm just offensive. I, I can be that way. I promise you. But 
So the fact that you're gonna be offended is a given. The question is, how are you gonna handle that? What are you gonna do with that offense? Are you gonna let it fester? Are you gonna let it grow and turn into uh, unforgiving spirit, bitterness, hatred, whatever? Or are you going to forgive others' offenses just like he's forgiven ours? The Holy Spirit, might not be possible for you, but the Holy Spirit will help you do that. Think of how in the church here, even in Rome, how God brought Gentile and Jew together. I don't think we fully understand how big a deal that was. People that were on opposite ends of the spectrum. And remember this verse, Ephesians 4, 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We talked about that last week. I wanted to put it back up there. So why is this not happening? It's because an absence of our submitting to and surrendering to being Spirit-led we try to do it on our own. Listen to me. We talk about him, but we don't yield in here to him, to Christ. You've got to be going. We got to be at least, we may be come from different, we may look a little different, we may come from different, have different abilities and gifts and callings, but we're all going the same direction as the Spirit directs. And I want to tell you, the devil is so worried about this happening. Do you know in your own body, when you get cells that decide they're not going to stick with the plan of the body and they decide to do their own thing and begin to multiply and do their own thing, there's a term for that. It's called cancer. Cells go rogue. They're doing something other than what they're supposed to do. And so when you and I do that in the body of Christ, we become like a cancer that destroys the body. And he wants to work in us to help us build up the body. So it's so good to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, is it not? And in order, in order to do this, in order to get over myself, here's what I say. I've got to give up myself to Christ. This is how it happens. I have to give up. I have to deny myself. But I have to surrender myself to Christ. I have to do that. And when our attitude of one, is one of true humility in Christ... So here's that attitude that creates the climate. It's an attitude of true humility in Christ, and it's bathed in his love and grace. Then that becomes the perfect climate for unity to exist and grow and for us to accomplish the purpose that he has for us. Pray with me. Father, I thank you again.